Mindfulness Mode 213. You know, there's a, a tremendous pressure to kind of fake it till you make it. And that's really at the root of that is fear. You're listening to the Mindfulness Mode podcast with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Have you signed up for my friend Lucia Ferraro's free summit? It's called Change Your Thinking, Change Your Body. I'm a speaker on that summit and so are 27 other experts. I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm getting so much value out of it. Last night I listened to Naniola Sparkas. She was one of the speakers. And as she talked, I just felt so connected to her story and how she talked about how she learned to befriend her body and have a positive relationship with it. And she got a hold of, you know, her eating habits. And it was it was great. You can sign up for the summit at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash CYT summit. That's forward slash CYT summit. Last time, I talked with a man who left his high-paying job as a stockbroker in New York City to discover kindness. He was just so unhappy. He really didn't understand why, but he knew he needed to make a change, and he finally lunged forward, made a total change in his life, became a man who searched for kindness across the world, and he found it and offers something in return. He is the host of a TV show on Netflix, and the show is called The Kindness Diaries. I strongly recommend you go back and listen to this episode if you haven't heard it already, because it really was an insight into kindness and how we can find it in the world. Today, I'm talking with a woman who is an expert at social intelligence. She's an expert at understanding how social media works and how you can use social media to help you whatever you do whether you have a business well she was a fascinating guest to talk with i'm sure you'll enjoy it so sit back relax and enjoy okay mindful tribe let's get started i'm excited today i have melinda whitstock with me and melinda are you in mindfulness mode Oh, I always, well, I try to be always. It does help. (laughs) It really does help, doesn't it? Melinda, Melinda is an entrepreneur, a journalist, and a wonderful example of a mindful person. She not only keeps her company running smoothly, she's a social media expert, a traveler, a dog owner, and an incredible mom. While keeping all these balls in the air, she has a regular routine that includes meditation, exercise, ample sleep, and a generous amount of time with friends. So all of those things make you sound pretty amazing, Melinda. So let's start with mindfulness. How do you keep all this in your life and what is your definition of mindfulness anyway? You know, that's a great question about mindfulness. To me, it really means being this combination of kind of being in the moment and living in the power of now, you know, not in the past, not in the future, but actually being present, um, you know, in the moment. And with that comes a whole bunch of other things, too, like, you know, learning not to be judgmental being conscious when you're coming from a place of fear as opposed to a place of abundance. Um, You know, when you're coming from a place of uh, fear, often you it's driven by limiting limiting beliefs that you've learned in your childhood. 
and they're not serving you. So to become more and more conscious um, is part of my definition of mindfulness. Well, let's talk about limiting beliefs that you have had to deal with because our listeners, Mindful Tribe listeners, always really like to dig in and, and find out what is it that, what are the challenges that, that our guests have worked through? So limiting beliefs in your childhood, what, what would you be able to share with us about that, Melinda? Oh, my, my goodness. So, so many. I mean, you know, so many. And the older I've gotten, the more I realize, I mean, what's actually fascinating about limiting beliefs is that you don't know what you don't know. I mean, uh, unconscious drivers are driving us most of the time. Um, and in fact, um, folks have said that at any given time, you may have seven conscious thoughts, but as many as 21 million unconscious ones. <laughs> so, you know, if you think about that for a moment, um, what are my limiting beliefs? Goodness, I had all kinds of ones, you know, things that I learned about money as a child. I think we all learn these things that we hear, you know, maybe we heard that, you know, to have money, you have to be mean or greedy or something like that. Or the, the, the phrase money doesn't grow on trees or uh, judgmental things about money that um, really um, one needs to, to overcome. And in my case, I had a very unusual upbringing because my parents were very, very wealthy until I was six years old. And at that time, my dad, who um, was an entrepreneur, um, you know, had built a very successful business and he lost it at uh, kind of late in life and never really recovered. And so we went from being very wealthy to having nothing. And in a lot of um, uh, and it caused all kinds of strife for my parents. My parents got divorced. You know, there was all sorts of negative associations around that. And I think as a young child, I walked away from that thinking, I'm never going to be like them. I'm never going to be like them. I'm never going to be like them. And um, and it got me quite far in my life, um, deciding all the things I wasn't going to be until it didn't. And I found that some of the patterns that I, that, that were present in childhood started to show up in my life, um, as an old, you know, as an older adult. And it was really the wake up call that, that I guess really kind of kickstarted, um, uh, my personal growth. Um, so in that sense, all for the good. But, you know, every day when I meditate, I'm always thinking, I'm always asking the kind of <laughs> asking the universe, you know, um, to help me get past a, a lot of those uh, learned behaviors. You know, they weren't my beliefs. They were my parents' beliefs. And so tell us about your meditation practice. What does it look like? Is it silent meditation? It is now. I mean, for the most part, although um, I do a bunch of different things. I mean, I do do some guided meditations, um, which I find useful. Um, and uh, I've also been using a tool called Imrama, which is interesting. It's like binaural beats, um, which really, really help you get your brain waves into a different realm. So, you know, you've heard of beta and alpha and right. theta and that kind of thing. So um, they have a really interesting way of um, creating different meditative programs for inspiration, whether you're looking for sort of divine inspiration okay. um, and inspired action, or whether you're looking to be more focused in your life or whether you just want to get a good sleep, or whether you want to increase your dream activity, and that sort of thing. So Imrama has been very interesting for me. It's something I discovered, you know, about 18 months ago or so. Um, and so um, 
that I will do kind of an unstructured meditation, but I will have this beautiful sound of either rain okay. <laughs> or, or waves. I love um, the sound of rain. Yes. It, and it's, um, it's really interesting, but it gets your brain. Like it, it does help. Um, you know, if you have like me, so many different things going on in your life and so much potential for distraction. Right. Well, <laughs> tell me that, tell me again, Melinda, the name of that, is that an app or is it a website? It's a website, Imrama, um, and um, you just Imrama. I think it's Imrama.org. Okay. Um, you just could go there and download. Um, they don't actually have an app, but you can just download MP3 files. They're actually they're actually wave files. They're huge okay. because of the binaural beats. Oh, I see. So it's Imrama. I M as in Mary. Yes, Imrama. I, I think see. it's I M M Rama. I see. Well, that sounds really interesting, and none of my guests have told me about that before, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. <laughs> it sounds really interesting. So that's your meditation, and then let's talk about exercise, because so many of my guests talk about exercise and, and tell me how important it is. How important is it to you, Melinda? Yeah, well, extremely. In fact, the, the only reason I really got into meditation to begin with is because I took up yoga um, okay. a long time ago in the early 90s. I was a reporter on the Times of London. I was pretty stressed. You know, I was only as good as my last story. I mm -hmm. was the media correspondent. There was this new thing called the Internet. <laughs> I was busy <laughs> writing, you know, like all yeah. the time and constantly, you know, my day began at seven in the morning and ended often at one in the morning. And I was just, you know, going like crazy and I was burnt out. And I read about this yoga vacation um, in Crete, in northern Crete, um, in Greece. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go. There's this thing called yoga. I don't really know anything about it, but it sounds good. <laughs> it sounds like it would be <laughs> helpful for me. And um, over the course of two weeks, I learned a really wonderful yoga practice called Ashtanga, which is very, um, very physical. I mean, it's a hot yoga. Instead of going to a hot room to do yoga, um, the, the heating breath of this particular yoga kind of heats you up and it's very dynamic. So it was really great physical exercise, really good for strength training. Um, but at the same time, it was the first thing that got me out of my own way or out of my own head. Like I, I, the only way I could meditate when I began was by doing it with yoga. So yoga has been, um, kind of a constant in my life, um, since then for like 20 years. I mean, you know, a really long time. And actually it's been frustrating over the last few weeks, but I really hurt my ankle back in January, mm -hmm. a really severe sprain. And I haven't been able to do yoga now for uh, like eight weeks. And my body is like, ah, you know, not liking that so much. But the other thing that I do that's very helpful to me are just long walks with my dog. I have a golden retriever named Josie. And I really, in Washington, D.C., in Rock Creek Park, there's some beautiful trails to walk. And I really enjoy just being like in silence, uh, walking with a dog. A dog is the epitome of mindfulness. I mean, completely in the moment. I was just going to say, how does your dog, Josie, help you to be mindful? Oh, I've totally learned from her. I, you know, I just try and be like her. <laughs> I mean, you could do worse, right? Like dogs yeah. made of pure love. They're, they're in the moment. And, uh, you know, and, and it's lovely just going on these nice kind of walks with her. And um, had a golden retriever before her, too, named Pundit. And uh, Pundit was quite a thoughtful 
uh, golden retriever and used to do the same thing with him. Um, recently though, I've decided I really want to take up kind of some weight training and, and that. So I'm going to be starting that soon now that my, uh, ankle is a little bit better. So. Right. Well, I'm really fascinated with your business. It's called, uh, Verifeed and I know it's about authenticity. Can you explain how that came about and what you do in your business? Yeah, exactly. So one odd thing about me um, that's unusual, you know, most people are either left brain dominant or right brain dominant. And in my case, I'm equivalent. So I guess what that what that and and I'll get to the point of what this means for my business. Um, What that means for me is that I'm very much analytical but I'm as intuitive as I am analytical. So Verifeed um, very much balances that. I mean, at, at, at a glance, we're a, a big data company in the realm of artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, where we use all kinds of algorithms and processes to understand people from what they share with each other on social conversations. And where the intuition and the creativity comes into it is how to match that learning to what our customers want to understand about people so they can really attract or find and engage their natural believers, um, you know, and find the people who are influencing other people, um, you know, to, uh, you know, buy their product or their solution. Um, And we understand from social conversations, people are sharing so much about themselves, you know, um, you know, their hopes, their dreams, their tastes, their interests. And from all of that, we can kind of divine who's all out there who wants to buy what you're selling. They just don't know you yet. And so that's what Verifeed does. To get to the point about authenticity, though, we have seen in the data over the years that brands and businesses that speak with authenticity, in other words, like a a human genuineness, you know, they actually they actually care about their customers, you know, they're not just trying to kind of pound them with very salesy, self-interested messages, but they're actually engaging people in conversation as a human and, and helping them and, and all of that. Those folks who are speaking with authenticity and they're being real, they're, if they have a mission, they're walking their talk, you know, demonstrably, those folks wildly outperform um, brands and businesses do, that do not do that. By any metric, whether you're looking at traffic, you know, conversions, revenue, earnings, and even the valuation of a company. Um, so we've built an algorithm called Return on Authenticity. It's actually a series of algorithms that all tie in together, where we not only measure how authentic a brand or a business is being on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, that sort of thing, um, but what kind of return they are getting from that. And, and it allows people to kind of interact with, you know, their kind of natural kind of believers, find their customers um, and interact with them in an authentic way. Well, this sounds really interesting. So uh, much of this you do with the help of social media, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, um, if you think of social media, it's like our canvas. It's our data set. Um, right. you know, it's where we get what we call social intelligence. That's what I figured. Well, I, I think it's really interesting that you've done that because there's so much talk about authenticity and so much so that I think some people are starting to kind of fear that authenticity is just something that's almost surfacy. It's artificial. It's not, you know, I mean, the word itself, we all know what it means, but if we're all setting out to have this, this image of being authentic, 
you know, having authenticity, then is that really authentic? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, that's, you know, it's really true because it's become, it's become a buzzword. I think yes. that's fair. Um, and there's a lot of people who display, you know, uh, you know, a sort of a fake authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous, but it's true. But yeah. here's the thing is um, that's a very short term and short lived strategy, honestly, because consumers really are, in charge. So I like to say that our economy, you know, there's a lot of companies that sell B to C, so business to consumer. What's actually happening now is we live in an economy that's C to B. Consumers are absolutely in charge. They're fickle right. and they're loud and they're boisterous. <laughs> and they are the ones that validate a brand or a business and either send their friends to that brand or business or tell their friends not to shop there. And that happens in a flash and in an instant. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's vitally important to, to get it right. And I mean, the other trend that we see too, is that companies that have an evolved enterprise, like a, a, a give back, or I like to call it a give forward model, right? Where they're actually doing something that's good for the planet. Those brands and businesses also are outperforming those that don't have that mission. But when it comes to authenticity, it's absolutely vital that these companies actually walk their talk. So Say if you're Kentucky Fried Chicken and you stick a pink Susan G. Komen kind of ribbon on your bucket, like, hmm, that's not authentic because there's all these studies that show that the chicken and the way it's cooked <laughs> right. can, be, you know, can be a carcinogen, right? So, hmm, right? So it's very, very important to, to have that, that alignment. And I think consumers find you out really quickly. They've never been so well-informed. Um, and so if you want to claim, you know, um, that you're authentic, you genuinely have to be authentic. So how can we use mindfulness to be more authentic with our customers and with the people that we interact with? Well, I think there's an element of mindfulness that allows empathy, right? Um, in the sense, if you're in a, in a, in a, in a state where you're not in judgment, Mm -hmm. that you're genuinely interested about other people and you actually understand where they're coming from, that they may be being motivated by fear or beliefs or someone might have just yelled at them and then that's why they've yelled at you. You know, if you have that kind of awareness in yourself, you're more likely to have that awareness about your customers and you can be of greater service to them. It's as simple as that. And when you're talking on social media, it's no different from how you'd be talking to your friends in real life. So I think these things just translate. Um, I think what happens on social media, though, is because people can hide behind the printed word, uh, you know, they can sometimes forget that really what they're doing is engaging people as you would as customers. If someone came to your, uh, your shop, for instance, you wouldn't be rude to them. So <laughs> likewise, no. on social media, you can't be there either. And I think there's still a little bit of disconnect in people's minds. But, the, but the, that mindfulness, that kind of non-judgmental, you know, really um, service-focused assistance wildly improves customer service. And, and social media is a, a, a really spells the difference between fame or shame, you know, as well as profit or loss when it comes to how you treat your customers. So let's talk about the different social media platforms. Which is a social media platform that you feel I can exercise my mindfulness the most? I can, I can just truly be myself and, and just really share and get out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think right now, I mean, you know, I say when you look at, at, at Facebook, for instance, 
I mean, you know, increasingly, certainly in my news feed, because I'm interested in all these things, Facebook um, shows me more and more posts that are the type of posts that I will like or share or comment on. This is known as the filter bubble. So the more mindful you are, the more you post on that, the more you like other people who are posting on that, the more of that you get in your news feed. So um, this is why some people are having a horrific experience on Facebook right now because the ones that are all like fighting all the time about politics, right, inspire more fights um, about politics because you attract what you're putting out. Uh, this is true on any social network. <laughs> if you go on there and you're giving advice and you're being helpful and you're being inspiring and, you know, and you're interacting with that, Facebook's going to show you more of that. So, you know, any platform, it doesn't really matter which one. Um, it's up to you, the who you are um, on that social network, and are you being the person you are? I think a lot of cases with Facebook, though, and, and this social network and all of them get a bad rap for this, is there's tremendous pressure to go on there and say, ah, my life's great. Like, everything's perfect. Look at me, you know, and only post when you're happy. Right. <laughs> a lot of people don't really share you know, when they're down or when they're struggling. And one of the things that's nice, or at least I've seen, at least the people that I know, people are a little more um, able, if they feel safe, like they're not going to be ridiculed or whatever, to be able to put stuff out there. And I find that the posts that are the most genuine, this has been true of my life, whenever I really am raw and I actually can, you know, kind of fall, feel like I can fall backwards and the universe is going to catch me or genuinely ask for help or explain something. It's amazing how many people come out and say, wow, thank you for saying that because I was feeling like that too. Right. Right. That's being human. That's being genuine is just really sharing how we truly feel. Well, those individual moments of any kind of pain or suffering or just setbacks we have to overcome, these are highly personal, but the more personal, the more universal they actually are as well. Right. So it's a fine line because uh, nobody wants to see me coming on and going on and on about how depressed I am and discouraged I am. I mean, yes, a certain amount of, you know, hey, I'm having, maybe I'm having a rough day or whatever, but I think too, we have to have a balance that yes. we present right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I have I, quite a few because I'm, you know, obviously I'm very active in the entrepreneurial world, you know, right. um, the, the entrepreneurial lifestyle is, is a roller coaster for, right. for everybody. I mean, everybody involved because you have these immense highs and you have tremendous challenges. You have those moments where like, Oh my God, I'm going to make payroll <laughs> you know, or yes. something that you were expecting to happen suddenly doesn't happen. Or there's just some event, there's so much beyond your control. Right. And so certainly in, in, in my communities, you know, of kind of my, you know, friends and associates and in different business groups that I'm, I'm in are getting a little bit better at, at sharing that for a long time. And I think this is still true, you know, there's a, a tremendous pressure to kind of fake it till you make it. And that's really at the root of that is fear. It's like, oh man, if I don't look like this is growing really fast, nobody will fund me. Or if I don't, you know, I, it'll be harder to get customers because people want to buy into success. And so there's a lot of pressure to do that. So often you can get into this, this bind that way. Like how much 
can you actually share without hurting your company? Um, and if you share too much, you know, so getting, <laughs> it's tricky. I mean, it, it, there's no easy answer to this. It's all about balance, that's for sure. And how do you keep your balance? You're you're busy as a mother as well. I want to talk about that aspect of mindfulness in your life. How do you keep the balance and and be that great mom to your kids? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think kids see what you do. And I mean, there's what you tell them and there's what you do. Um, so I'm a big believer in work-life integration because for me, it's all the same thing. Really, it is. Like there's no kind of, okay, I'm at work. Okay, and now I'm, you know, I try and make sure that I have quality time with the kids and right. quality time, you know, with my, you know, growing my company um, and all of that. But there's so many times where the, where the two intersect. And it was a funny story. My daughter, who's 13 now, but when she was in fifth grade, she asked me to come speak to her Montessori class about entrepreneurship. And so she took me aside just before I was going to speak. And she said, hey, mom, so, you know, I really want to make sure that you talk about what it's really like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, most of my friends think it's like this. And she did this kind of uh, like a hockey stick sort of growth thing with her hand as a Mm -hmm. gesture. And I want you to tell them that it's more like this, like this roller coaster. Uh And because she'd seen firsthand sort of the ups and downs and moreover though she'd seen me get through those times right um being transparent and kind of open about it and all of that so i mean i think in in a lot of ways being open with your children about you know how difficult it is but also how you overcome these things and then them watching me meditate watching me journal you know being disciplined about my morning routine you know that sort of thing it got to the point where my daughter i mean we we do intentions um as well so my daughter and this is an amazing thing she decided that she was going to um make some intentions at the beginning of the year about her life and what she wanted um where she was being mindful about it and she made her intentions as if they'd already happened one of them was that she I am a straight A student, um, she said. And the other one is I'm a successful actress. You know, I'm getting all the roles and things that I want. So guess what happened? I mean, she became within six weeks, her report card came back and she was a straight A student. And within six weeks, she tried out and was accepted to be one of 600 kids chosen from all around the world to go to Hollywood to compete in front of all these, like, you know, the major studios. <laughs> That's pretty That's, incredible. Right. And so this, I, I'm, I'm convinced this is just sort of osmosis or something from like <laughs> watching me do these intentions and sometimes intentions work and sometimes they don't. And that's interesting is when they don't, you know, what kind of limiting going back to the beginning of the conversation, what kind of limiting belief is stopping you from getting to what you consciously want to achieve. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm always trying to teach them good kind of work habits, you know, kind of a positive attitude how to be authentic, all of that. So It sounds like you're being a great role model and mom because that's a pretty awesome story of your daughter. <laughs> well, it's, it's a little awkward for me because she's turning me into a reluctant stage mom, so I don't know how that's going to go. <laughs> Probably everything else, but yeah. 
Well, I've worked in the field of bullying prevention for some time, and I want to talk with you about that topic. Were you ever bullied, Melinda, when you were younger or even in business? Oh, my God. Yeah, sure was when I was younger. Yeah. So happy to talk about this because I think most, you know, people should. So I was the kid who was different in like Uh every way you could possibly imagine. So like the first kid to have divorced parents, um, you know, in my neighborhood and, um, you know, and it made me very sensitive, like uh-huh. uh, some of my report cards say that I would just cry. And so, of course, you know, because my whole life was just, you know, you know, crazy, you know, yes. um, you know, back then. But I was also like the tallest kid and I was really kind of skinny. And then um, I competed in figure skating, which meant that I missed a lot of school. So I was different on all these different accounts. And yeah, I used to get bullied and I used to be, sh- you know, kind of that sense of shame. Like there's mm-hmm. something wrong with me. And the issue with bullying is that it can last. I mean, speaking of limiting beliefs, that's the kind of thing that you can carry through you your whole with you your whole life and leads yeah. to the sense of I'm not enough or I can't do it or you know what I mean those sorts of things even if they're unconscious thoughts right so that's you know and, and it's sad I mean these things happen and sometimes they happen you know very subtly so mm-hmm. you know fast forward you know I was also in a marriage um, that um, involved I was as it happened you know married to quite a narcissist. Um, who also had an alcohol problem. And that same pattern of bullying came out in that relationship. And what was interesting is ultimately, as painful as that was, it finally allowed me the ability to start to heal those things. Because Uh I essentially was replicating old stuff from childhood. You know, there was something about it that was familiar. And often in life, you know, you see these patterns repeat in people's lives because they're attracted to what's familiar. I see. Not what's not what's good. I see. And so, what was the turning point in that marriage? How did you get get through it to the other side? Oh my God! Well, I mean, it really it was it was something. I mean, for a long time, I was priding myself on like how much I could tolerate. Look at me! Oh. Look what I can do! Look what I can you know. And I was kind of numb to it. I, I think I was a little bit desensitized, and it took me a long time to really understand you know, how bad it was. It was actually outsiders who were like, how can you tolerate that? And I'd be like, tolerate what? (laughs) And, you know, honestly, I, I, you know, for a long time, I honestly didn't really see it. Um, I was so buried in my work. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So this is my third company. So I was so buried in like the kids were little. I had a business and I was just, you know, on that kind of hamster wheel. I was just getting through. I was getting through. And finally, it had to get bad enough that, it was a real wake up call. And, and again, you know, I can look at this now and actually find tremendous gratitude in this because we all get what we need. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yes. Whether the, whether the lesson has to be extreme. The only reason that lesson gets extreme is if you're not, maybe, I don't know, maybe if you're not paying attention enough, you know, at the time, um, but, you know, I look back on this now and I see that in, in, in the marriage, I mean, both of us were products of our upbringing, both of us products of, of um, you know, difficult childhoods, which then played out again. And so these patterns repeat. And the only way, I mean, uh, sort of mindfulness is, 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 is critical and being able to get out of it, get out of judgment, get out of mm-hmm. that, uh, actually, I don't know, uh, figure out a way of really seeing your own value 
and and creating a sense of self-respect <laughs> so you know that you can have you know a, an abundant and fearless and joyful life rather than the reverse Right. Well, thanks for sharing that, Melinda. My next questions are five quick answer questions. The oh. first one is, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Oh, my goodness. Um, let's see. I mean, there there have been so many um, mm-hmm. along along the way. I mean, the, the first, um, I worked with a tremendous, oh, wonderful therapist called Trish Wynott. Right at that great name, huh? Yeah, it's a super <laughs> name. Yeah, I mean, and she was really the first person to really teach me about mindfulness and meditation, and the way that I really got out of the bad marriage that I was in is through gratitude practice. And so she was immensely a, a, a huge positive influence for me. And then, of course, you know, so many books that I have, you know, read, you know, along the way as well. So I don't know, more, more than I can even mention, actually, now you put me on the spot. There's so many people. <laughs> well, no, that's fine that you mentioned your therapist, because it sounds like, like she really took you to a new place. Yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I've worked with some really great people and, you know, some wonderful kind of, you know, TED Talks. I remember Brene Brown being pretty influential on for me um, around, you know, the topic of authenticity and yes. overcoming fear, um, you know, huge, sure. huge impact. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Melinda? Oh, just level, you know, it's like not being guided by emotions, realizing that emotions are not me. Thoughts are not me. They, they're passing things, you know? Um, so really, I, I don't really feel like I'm ruled by them in the way, you know, you, I think, I think mindfulness, I, I, I like to think of it as consciousness, <laughs> yes. like really con- conscious and, and, and in the moment and aware of, of, of what the kind of unseen, well, hopefully more and more aware of what some of the unseen drivers are in your life. Right. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Oh God, that's huge. So I think just in terms of being able to relax and just be observant and be in the moment. Um, yeah, breathing is, is, is critical. Like actually with the yoga that I was describing, um, it's called a uh, ujjayi breath and it's like a really kind of deep breathing and I, yoga got me into into to breathing and then with some of the um uh ho'oponopono um mm-hmm. that i've been doing um recently there's like sort of a box breath where you know you're you're breathing in you're holding it and then you're breathing out and you're holding it and it becomes meditative in and of itself um, so I like to do that. And I find that when I do it, so I don't always do it <laughs> yeah. sometimes. And when I don't, I realize that meditation is not as good. So, right. Well, so here's your chance. What book would you recommend? Oh, well, so many, actually, um, a couple of them that I've read recently that have had a profound impact on me, and they're not necessarily about mindfulness, although they are related. Um, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz has oh, written... Yeah beautiful books, um, mastery of love. 
um, Mastery of Self and The Fifth Agreement. And those books have been profoundly influential on in me in the past, you know, really recently. Um, and I wish I'd read them much, much earlier in my life to save me a lot of time and a lot of grief. But I would recommend those highly. I mean, this whole idea that everything that we, we, you know, come to believe amongst ourselves is really just an agreement. It's not necessarily true. Right. And being able to stand by, I think that's a huge aspect of like the fifth agreement book, which is fantastic, but also attachments, how we get very attached. Our ego gets attached to certain outcomes and, and then we can miss a, a better opportunity or a better thing that the universe has in store for us. Um, and it's fascinating. You see where people get attached to sports teams where they may love soccer, for instance, right. and just enjoy to play soccer. But then they get so attached to the team that their whole personality and their whole life is ups and downs around how well the team does. And that happens in politics, obviously, as well. You've seen with the, this country and how divided we are. People are right. so attached to these outcomes that are not about them. And yet it becomes self-defining and it's such a prison. But also, you know, just just uh, mastery of love, the, the 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 concepts about getting out of fear and being in abundance. Right, right. I appreciate you mentioning as well, mentioning the app, uh, the website that you talked about. And so that's that's my other question: is can you share an app? So let's just revisit that for a second. What was the name of that website where uh, you oh. you got these awesome uh, audios? Imrama. I-M-M-R-A-M-A, I think, dot org. Uh, right. That was really helpful. And I, you know, I've played around with different kind of meditation things, but these have really helped a lot. And then also I'm a big uh, big fan of uh, Ho'oponopono. So a great uh, book to read also is Joe Vitale's book, uh, Zero Limits, Yes. about Ho'oponopono, uh, Dr. Hugh Len. I mean, I, that's transformational, and that's something that I'm doing a lot of right now. And in fact, my meditation is becoming more about just that, really the four concepts, you know, the four things to the universe, you know, right. <laughs> very simple, you know, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Please forgive me. Thank you. And, and doing that hmm, much of the, you know, increasingly more and more and more of the day. Yeah, that's very powerful, very powerful. Mm -hmm. So Mindful Tribe, get that book by Joe Vitale. It's so incredible. Melinda, it's been really great talking with you today, learning about how you use mindfulness in your life and what a vibrant, interesting life you have. Like, oh. it, 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 no, it really does seem like you've got so many great things happening, your your successful business, your, your wonderful children and your life as a mother and your walks with your daughter dog and you know all your meditation and mindfulness that you have in your life to help keep it balanced so i'm very impressed really enjoyed talking with you and uh so tell us how can we learn more about what you do and connect with you possibly oh that's awesome so i have a special offer for anybody that is interested in figuring out how to use social intelligence to advance their business or their brand. And here's what you do. If you want to learn more, I am giving free consultations to anybody, any of your listeners. Um, and um, I will, if you have a business and you qualify and you have a business and you want to figure out who your top 25 influencers are that are really going to help grow your business, you can text to 44222 
the word tribal because we find your tribe. We find your believer tribe. So 44222 and then text the word tribal. Okay. And then you can sign up for a free consult with me and I'll find your influencers. Um, So I'm excited to be able to offer that to everybody listening today. And obviously, if you want to know more about Verifeed, you know, just go to verifeed.com and it's spelled V-E-R-I-F-E-E-D.com. And you can also email us just info at verifeed.com. Great. So Mindful Tribe, you heard it. Melinda's offering time, one-on-one time with you. So don't let that go. Make sure you take her up on that offer because that's a very generous offer. Yeah. And we can talk about some mindfulness as well on that. So happy to carry on the conversation. Super, super. Thanks so much, Melinda. Have a great rest of your day. Hey, thank you. (laughs) Bye now. It was a pleasure. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.